Hello, and welcome to the Her and Him podcast. I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And when two theologians get married, what you get is a podcast. Well, there's no doubt that 2020 has been a trying time so far. With a global pandemic and a nationwide lockdown and civil unrest that has come as a result of racial injustice. And as we are here in the middle of the year, we're looking towards the fall where there's going to be a presidential election, and that's going to be a bitter race to the very end. And so this year on the whole has been really a trying time, and there's been a lot of voices flying back and forth, and the the conversation hasn't always been uplifting. Right. You are certainly seeing people who are declaring a side. And it it doesn't feel like much conversation is happening as opposed to people going to war for their views. And I think you see a lot of that on social media because now as individuals, we all have some type of a platform to vocalize where we stand, to express our frustrations with situations or our opinions about something. And so in the world of social media, we have opportunities to share our thoughts in a more public way than we've ever had before. And I think there's certainly a lot of benefits because I've learned a lot from certain people and their use of social media. But I do think right now social media is adding to the tension and it's adding to the division because people feel like they have to declare a side on all of these issues, like on the pandemic, there's a side to declare. On the issue of racial injustice, there's a side to declare. On the issue of politics and who are we voting for. So there's certainly a lot of declaring of sides in 2020. <laughs> We're going to call this the year of declaring. <laughs> the year of declaration. Yeah. And certainly there have been uh, many voices that have been uplifting and unifying and very winsome and compelling, but unfortunately, many of those voices have been drowned out by louder voices that have been just very, very toxic. Yeah. And I think so many of us are, are feeling just the, the toxicity of conversation that has surrounded so many of the important issues mm-hmm. that have been happening this year. And I think the tragedy that we're seeing is that in the midst of all of these toxic conversations— There are a a lot of people who self-identify as evangelical Christians and who are among evangelical Christian leadership and are influential in the the Christian space who are in the midst of perpetrating toxic conversations and toxic kind of language. And it's really troubling. It is. And I think it's hard because you're seeing people who are very influential in the Christian evangelical world that are leaders that have built platforms out of this desire to share the gospel. And somehow those people have taken on political outlets and... And not just political, but very partisan. Yes. Yeah. I think that's a better way to describe some of these Christian leaders. And I think there's also becoming a lot of tension within the Christian faith where we are called to be unified in Christ. And yet we're seeing this division within the church itself, even among leaders where you're thinking, wait, 
your first and foremost goal should be for Jesus and for the gospel and for the kingdom of Jesus rather than these partisan views. Yeah, and I've had conversations with more than one friend Mm -hmm. in these recent weeks and months that have said, man, I, I am just really struggling with my faith right now. And the reason that I am is because I see so many people who are Christians or they're Christian leaders, and they're speaking in such a hateful tone and manner and a very partisan way Mm -hmm. that's very divisive that if you don't agree with me, then you're disagreeing with God. And uh, it's become a a real uh, point of contention Mm -hmm. and, and a real source of struggle for so many believers who are struggling to follow Jesus but have interfaced with some of this toxic conversation that has discouraged their faith because instead of leading with love, we've seen a lot of Christian leaders and a lot of, you know, Christians in general who are are leading with hate, who are leading with anger, and it's a real problem. It is, and I can't even imagine the battle for someone who's a new believer watching this unfold. Like if they've just come to faith within the last few years, Unfortunately, there's a measure of Christian leaders that are not exemplifying the gospel. And there's already so many challenges of becoming a new believer that you're wrestling with internally and you're wrestling with externally with your social groups and you're trying to figure out what kind of a life am I supposed to live in? So you look up to people as examples. And I think we're seeing a lot of those examples failing right now. Not to say every Christian leader is failing. There's certainly a lot to wrestle with right now and a lot to sort through. And we're all really doing this for the first time with these particular sets of issues in this age and time and how you deal with those things. So there should be a measure of grace to leaders, but there is also a measure of accountability that needs to be had for leaders and for Christians, because as Christians, Scripture says we are ambassadors for Christ. We are people who represent Jesus, and so we need to be mindful of what that representation looks like, even as we are wrestling with things of this world, which the pandemic is a thing of this world. Racial issues are a thing of this world. How do we measure those things, and how do we continue to stay as Christians, which are people who are called to be set apart. Yeah, and so today what we want to do is kind of give a voice to that struggle of looking into the chaos and being really discouraged by the responses of our fellow Christians and Christian leaders and not really knowing who we should follow or what we should think and Mm -hmm. just really seeing the fallibility of people and Christians and leaders. And so today what we want to do is not necessarily just to be negative, but we want to talk a little bit about kind of hypocrisy we see in the church what what is that what is a good response to that and a good way to move forward in light of that and so we just kind of want to take a a look at all of that but i kind of wanted to start with this quote that has often been attributed to gandhi although i don't think he actually said it maybe he did but uh, it goes something like this he says i like your christ but i do not like your christians your Christians are so unlike your Christ. So, Tam, what do you think it is that makes people like Jesus but have such a distaste for his followers? And this is something that we've heard a lot. Certainly, and it's 
it's not anything new. As Christians, we are still living in a fallen world. We're still works in progress. And so throughout history, unfortunately, you have seen some pretty horrific things done in the name of Christ. And so history hasn't always been on the side of, you know, shining the light of Jesus, but we can certainly see the church has done a lot of good too. And so it's important to not only be reminded of the negative, but also of of the good things that Christians have done too. And there are certainly plenty of books that I've read that actually lay that out and things that I didn't even know for the greater good of society have been attributed to actually Christians like the starting of schools and hospitals and and so many good things have come from Christians. So you have um, that and then you have on the other side like the Spanish Inquisition yeah, and, and the uh, California missions and the Crusades and just yeah. the abuse of power that the churches you, you know participated in. So it's kind of like this checkered It past. is. It is, and we have to continue to extend grace even to Christians. So as Christians, extending grace to yourself to some degree, but also to other Christians. And it's hard to expect non-Christians to do that because, of course, they're simply going to watch us and, and say, well, your Jesus is supposed to be about love, and your Jesus is supposed to be about caring for the poor and caring for the widows. And, and there's this good news of Jesus, but then non-Christians are encountering Christians and it doesn't feel like they're receiving any good news. It feels like they're being told everything that Christians don't agree with in society or they're well aware of the things that Christians are against rather than the things that Christians are for. And so it's hard for people to say, yes, I love Christians as they're seeing our walk not necessarily match up with our faith and the things of scripture and the things that we declare are true of Jesus and are true of the lifestyle a follower of Jesus should have. So I think that's where there's that tension and why people are saying, I'm all for Jesus, but I'm not for Christians. Yeah. And I think you pointed out something really important that we should really emphasize is, is that so much moral good that has happened in the world has happened because of Christians, whether it was the abolitionist movement, whether it's charities that have been set up, humanitarian efforts, education, health. So many things have come from the Christian movement. But I think a lot of times we struggle in any particular moment as we look at a particular set of Christians or a particular leadership, we can really see a lot of holes and blind spots Mm -hmm. that are contributing to this image that is harming the cause of Christians in general. Yeah. And if you are finding yourself just really discouraged with Christianity right now, there's actually a book that is called What has Christianity ever done for this world? And there's a lot. It's a small book and by no means exhaustive, but it's important to even look at the history of Christianity through that lens too, because I think a lot of the times we see the history of Christianity through the lens of negativity and of darkness and of sin and really corrupt hearts. And of course, if you begin to focus in on those things, it's going to be really hard to find hope and encouragement. So if you're in that place, just a side note, that's a really good book to check out and see just what good things Christianity has done. And you might be surprised by the things you already knew about, but you didn't know that Christians started those things. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so that's really important. And it's also important to point out that there are some things as Christians that we will not be liked for or be popular Mm -hmm. for depending on the culture that we're in. Mm -hmm. And so there are some good things that Christians ought to stand for that we are going to be accused of being hateful regardless of how lovingly we Mm -hmm. hold those views. Although sometimes we we don't hold those views as lovingly as we should. Uh, And some of those might be whether being very pro-life, being pro-marriage, being pro- the, the, the biblical understanding mm-hmm. of marriage, whether it's preaching that there's one way to God, which is through Jesus. These are not popular ideas, and we can hold them as winsomely as we can, but the fact of the matter is these are hard truths for the culture that we live in, mm-hmm. and they're, they're not always going to allow us to be liked, and that's okay. But there's a difference between being disliked for the right reasons and being a hypocrite. Mm, that's, that is an important piece you're pointing out. Christians are called to stand for truth. We are called to be unwavering in the matters of truth, especially those that are laid out in Scripture that tell us how to live and that require us to be countercultural. There are certainly the things that you just mentioned. I mean, being pro-life and anti-abortion is certainly countercultural, and that's something we need to continue to fight for and we need to continue to stand for. And understanding the biblical definition of marriage and what that means and really the idea that Jesus is the only way, that is really hard for people, especially in this world of like, we're just going to coexist and you have your way and you know, that's good by you and I have my way and that's good by me. Well, that's actually not truth because they're the truth is there was only one way. And taking the stances on those things is not even a matter of opinion. It's a matter of truth. And we are called to stand for those things. But all throughout scripture, every time you see this call to truth, you also see the call to love right next to it. You are supposed to stand for truth in love. And I think that's where we're seeing the issue right now is Christians are good about declaring the truth and good about standing for it, but we might be lacking the love side of it right now. And also, too, I think declaring truth in one area while failing to apply that truth Mm. in other areas. Well, right, and that's why people are wrestling with this issue of hypocrisy, right? Because in this day and time, we're seeing people that are very much pro-life where we've kind of define this now through our conversations on her and him podcast as being pro-birth because then you see the issue of people outside of the womb who are not being treated fairly who are not being dignified who are being dehumanized and the same people that are fighting for pro-life the pro-life movement are not fighting for life outside of the womb and so I think that's a very good example of the hypocrisy that people are witnessing amongst evangelical Christians yeah and so as we're talking about hypocrisy we want to kind of define that term and it is a term that we see in the bible and really it comes from this word that that means to wear a mask it's really describing people in theater who would wear a mask and they're playing a part So when we say that someone's a hypocrite, they say that they're not actually sincere about the truth that they're putting forward. They're putting on a mask. They're playing a part because they think that that's what they're supposed to do when actuality there's something different beneath. 
And, and really we see that when you're playing a part as your lifestyle that your true self will eventually leak out. So if you're mm-hmm. preaching love but you don't actually love, then the hate will actually leak out in sideways places. Which is what we're seeing right now. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, Jesus had a lot to say about hypocrites. Mm-hmm. When he came, he interfaced a lot with this group called the Pharisees. And now the Pharisees were this kind of political group, but they were also a theological group. So they had this influence and power in the community, but really they were united behind their theological ideas, which were theologically very conservative. I mean, Jesus actually agreed with a lot of the stuff that they would have preached. Like 90% of what they were talking about, he agreed with entirely. They were so respected because they memorized like large chunks of scripture They were just very faithful in so many things, whether it was spiritual disciplines or it was being generous or whatever it might be, just like purity of religion. Jesus agreed with most of it. And yet there was this spitefulness and there was this arrogance and there was this hatefulness that came along with that group. And so in that last five or 10%, that's where Jesus really butted heads with the Pharisees. And so if you read the New Testament, the Pharisees kind of look like the bad guys. But really, in so many ways, they were the good guys. But because they were arrogant and prideful, that hypocrisy, that hate kind of spilled out. And so Jesus, on a number of occasions, had some pretty strong words for them. Yeah. In Luke six forty six, Jesus tells them, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? That's a pretty strong accusation against them, especially because the Pharisees at that point would have been known for holding up the religious laws. And so for him to call them out and say, you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't actually do what I tell you, even though on the surface it would have appeared as if they were doing those things. Right. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about how if your righteousness doesn't exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes, then you can't enter into the kingdom of God. And that was an audacious statement because mm-hmm. how could you be more righteous than the people who memorized large chunks of scripture? How can you be more righteous than the people who fast two times a week, who pray without ceasing, who mm-hmm. give alms, who do all of these great things that are like these spiritual things? And what Jesus was saying is there's a different kind of righteousness that comes from a sincerity of faith rather than this hypocrisy. It was more of an issue of your heart rather than this public display because Jesus sees your heart. And so you could look on the outside like you're doing right and not necessarily truly be of faith. And in Matthew 23, 23 to 30, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So also 
outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Yeah, and so what Jesus is saying there is that you can go to church every Sunday, you could never say a bad word, you could give to charitable causes, and yet still not be a good person. Because you can clean the the outside of the Mm -hmm. cup, but if the inside's dirty, then it's dirty. Yeah. You can look at a tomb that's whitewashed, and it looks beautiful, but you open it up and it smells like death and bones. Mm -hmm. That's the essence of hypocrisy, where you do a lot of spiritual things, or spiritual-seeming things, and yet your heart isn't actually given over to God. And so the key part of that is Jesus says, you ought not to neglect these things, but there are even more important things like mercy and and faithfulness and justice that you ought to attend to these things without neglecting those other things like prayer and scripture and going to church and all of these these other disciplines, that those are good, but they're not the whole story, that there's also this need for justice, for mercy, for faithfulness, for a heart of love and humility, that if that's missing, then you missed it. You missed the whole thing. Yeah. And a lot of the times we look at the Pharisees and we are like in Jesus's corner cheering him on like, yeah, you really let him have it. Like yeah, you, take him down. <laughs> you give it to him. Finally, someone's standing up to the Pharisees. But a lot of the times... We are far more like the Pharisees than we would probably ever give credit to. And hearing what Jesus has to say to them makes it really hard to turn around and internally reflect and say, are there any aspects of my life that are pharisaical? Are there any aspects of my life where Jesus would actually call me out and say these things to me? And that's because we usually have this pride and this arrogance to us. And like that's part of the problem. That's part of the issue that made the Pharisees who they were. And so as easy as it is for us to throw stones at the Pharisees, or even in our own time, right? So as I'm on social media and I'm seeing people and people who are Christians, saying just these really horrific, hateful, anger-filled, bitter things It's really easy to throw stones at them and not turn around and look at myself. And I've actually been really challenged about that lately because, of course, we all think we're on the right side of something. I don't imagine anyone is standing up and saying, yeah, I know this doesn't matter and I'm on the wrong side of it, but I'm going to still like shout as loud as I can. Right. No one ever fights for what they think is wrong. Right. We all think we're right. And so at some point, someone has to turn around and and look at themselves. And that might just be you that needs to do that. And I've been challenged by that lately because I've seen so many people I grew up with, friends, even leaders in, in the church that I grew up with, Sunday school teachers that I looked up to, and I read the things they're posting and I get angry And I have a really hard time respecting them, if I'm being really honest, and respecting what they say in one breath and then what they say in the next breath and think, well, those two things don't jive together. 
But then I had to turn around and look at myself and think, what am I doing that is more like them than I think? And I actually just wrote a blog on how do I fundamentally disagree with someone and yet still love them? Because I've been really challenged in that. And I find I could easily become a hypocrite and say, you don't care about people. You don't care about the injustices that are happening. All you care about are, you know, the things that you're laying out in your post. But then in those like rebuttals against them, my heart is actually filled with anger towards them. And that's not loving them either. I'm actually doing the very thing they're doing because I think I'm on the right side of the issue. Right. And it's so easy to get caught in that trap because it's just what comes natural to us. Mm-hmm. And what's unnatural is really the grace of Jesus that, that comes in. I was watching an Instagram video by Albert Tate, and he said something that really struck me. He said that Jesus came to set free both the oppressed and the oppressor. Mm. And that, in many ways, is really uncomfortable. Yeah. Because... Because you want the oppressor to... To burn. Yeah. Like, you want to attack them. You want to annihilate them. The oppressor needs to pay. And the fact that Jesus came for that person, too. I think you had told me an example of that. That made me really uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. That Jesus came to save and liberate both the child who was abused and the child molester who abused them. And that's uncomfortable. That's so uncomfortable. Like that still doesn't sit well with me, even though I know it's true. And my idea of so many of the situations that are happening are the oppressors need to pay in, in whatever form that looks like, right? We want them to pay. Yeah, and to be sure, I mean, there it, for those who don't, repent for those who don't turn to jesus and accept his grace i mean uh, god does say vengeance is mine saith the lord and mm-hmm. i will repay mm-hmm. i will recompense in the end if they, their sins aren't atoned for in the blood of jesus because they accepted that grace then they're going to be paid for by the people who perpetrated them but for us the the message is the grace of jesus mm-hmm. that we're preaching and so we live in that tension of it's God's heart that no one would perish, but everyone would come to a saving faith and a knowledge of him. And everyone meaning everyone, mm-hmm. not just those people that we deem are good or even, you know, without guilt. I think we might look at someone and say, wow, what you have done is absolutely the worst thing I could imagine. Jesus came for that person too. And if Jesus came for that person and I have Jesus in me and I'm supposed to share the love of Jesus, then what does my response to that person look like? And what does my relationship with that person look like? Yeah. And so I think we have to just step into that, that uncomfortable space mm-hmm. of realizing that Jesus came for everybody. And that's why Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies and bless those who persecute us mm-hmm. because his grace extends to all of those things. And I think when we begin to capture that vision, then we will develop an attitude that really is for all people. And a lot of times you'll hear Christians say like, well, I'm for everybody, but really it's just this kind of screen uh, they put up so that 
they don't have to do anything about it. I've heard the phrase toxic positivity. I just w- love everybody and love Jesus and it'll all be okay. And so there's a certain ex- extent to which Christians can hide behind that and that that's toxic because it's not stepping into the pain. But yeah. I think there is this very real sense that after having stepped into the pain, after crying out for justice, in the midst of that also saying, you know, Jesus came for both the oppressed and the oppressor. Mm-hmm. That he came for the hypocrite, he came for the marginalized, and he came for the one that's marginalizing them. He came for all of those people. And so when we have that bigger vision of, of God's grace, then it really seeks to humble us rather than to point out the hypocrisies of everybody else. Because if I'm left to that, then I'm, I'm just going to want to burn certain people and, while you know rescuing others. Right, and that's where there is this issue of witnessing the hypocrisy of others right now and seeing it and being disgusted by it even, which certainly I think that's a reasonable response because of the way that some Christians are acting and, and they're acting that way in the name of Jesus. And that's really disturbing. But I think there's a few things if you're watching that and the hypocrisy of Christians is just really weighing on your soul. I think there's a couple of things to look at. And one of those things is that Jesus is big enough to take care of his own name. Right. I felt that tension where I've been like, man, I just, everything within me, when I see certain Christian leaders who are influential and they have a following say certain things, everything within me just wants to cry out. Like, they're not with us. Like, I'm not with them. This is not what we stand for. Mm -hmm. And I just feel that, that burden. Yeah. And there's certainly a place for that. But when it becomes so weighty that it's almost debilitating for you and your own walk with Jesus, you have to say, God, you are big enough to care for yourself. You don't need me sitting here in the corner being like, that's not Jesus. What you're hearing from that person. That's not who he is. Just with my two thumbs. Right. (laughs) That's not Jesus. (laughs) I'll show you, Jesus. There's a piece of it where God's going to take care of himself. That doesn't mean there's no measure of accountability for Christians who are being hypocritical. But for those watching and you're having such a hard time, God's name and the weight of his name isn't solely on your shoulders for you to prove that all these other Christians that are hypocrites are hypocrites and point them out. And also there's this reference all throughout really the New Testament that says people are going to call themselves Christians And they're not really going to be Christians. And you're not going to know that until heaven. Right. And who's to say who's who? Right. And so you can't sit around and be like, well, I read what you posted. Like, you're not Christian. And that's really going around right now, which is really hard to. We've seen a lot of that. I've seen uh, people comment on posts of mine that say, like, if you if you're not going to vote for so and so, then you have to doubt your salvation. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. It's so crazy. We've. We We, can't be doing that. Yeah, and we've been getting a lot of that on her and him lately of people who say, well, if you voted for so-and-so, then, like, you're not a follower of Jesus. Those are really heavy statements. And by the way, we never even said who we're voting for. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But in Scripture, it says the weeds and the wheat are going to grow up together, and they're going to look like each other. You're not going to be able to differentiate between the actual wheat and the weeds until the end. 
and God is going to sort those things out. The weeds are going to burn. And that's the picture that we see in scripture of what the kingdom of God is going to end up looking like. And it's not for us to decipher. It's not for us to call out people who are non-Christians and calling themselves Christians. What our role in it is ourselves, is measuring our own hearts. One of my favorite Psalms, I think is, I say it's my favorite and I should actually know which one it is. 139, I think it is. Is it 139? I think you're right. I think it's 139. But the psalmist at the very end, and this is actually David who wrote this Psalm. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. And that passage is actually very relevant to this because in the verses preceding that, he had a very different tone. He said, oh, that you would slay the wicked. Do I not hate the people that hate you? I hate them with the hatred that is completely hateful. Or it says something like that in the verses that it's just just really kind of this angry declaration of being against the evilness that people are perpetrating. Mm -hmm. But then in the very next verse, he says, okay, but search me and and make sure that there's, there's not anything heinous within me. And if there is that, then lead me in a better way. Yeah. And with that, we see this is not a new struggle that we're facing in 2020. It certainly seems amplified right now. And I think a lot of things are amplified because we have information at our fingertips within... Too much information. We have way too much information. We have way too many opinions. We don't know what to believe. Is that really true? Is it not true? Like, what is research anyways? Like, there's just... There's so many questions of what can we trust and what can we not trust. And I think the big takeaway really is that we need to search our own hearts, and we need to ask for God to search our own hearts. Certainly, leaders should be held accountable, and God's going to hold them accountable. There's certainly a measure of accountability that Christians should have for one another. In our own lives, we should be able to go to our fellow brothers and sisters who we have these established relationships with And have these conversations. And so I think a lot of these conversations need to be had offline, in person, with people you have established relationships with. And so as we're struggling with watching the hypocrisy of Christian leaders and the tension that brings and even the way that it causes you to wrestle with your own faith because you trusted these people and you looked up to them and you relied on them to speak wisdom and truth and they might be failing right now but that doesn't mean that jesus is failing Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that jesus is failing you and that doesn't mean that the jesus that you serve has changed because he is the same yesterday today and tomorrow and that's what we hold that's what we grip to we don't grip to these leaders because they're gonna fail Right. I'm going to fail, and I'm not on this public platform. Right. It doesn't make you any better of a person or a more perfect person to have a seminary degree or to have a platform. Certainly. And you would hope those people have a level of maturity in their faith to see the temptations and to see the issues and to continue to go back to Jesus in their faith and seek wisdom and seek guidance and surround themselves with other mature Christians and in those ways, hold themselves accountable because they're aware 
of the fallout if they fail. But in the end, they're humans and they're broken and they're sinful. And in the same way I struggle with sin every day, they do too. And that doesn't mean we're left hopeless because again, our hope is Jesus and he's not changing and he's not failing you and he's not a hypocrite and what he stands for is not going to change. And so if you're struggling with watching the hypocrisy and you find yourself frustrated and hopeless, I just encourage you to run back to the one that's not going to fail you. And that's Jesus. Go back and establish your relationship there. Like go back and read his truth for yourself. Just go back and look at what does Jesus care about? What did he fight for? What was important to him? And we actually can open up the Bible and know that. It's not a guessing game. And so I think the moral of the story is it's good to be upset about hypocrisy. But we also need to realize that we're all hypocrites. And that isn't to say like, well, we're all hypocrites. But we're all hypocrites, and we shouldn't be. And so really, I I think I want to leave you with this verse from Romans. It's Romans 12, 9. It says, love must be sincere. And it must have this integrity to it. So hate what is evil and cling to what is good. We're really good at hating what is evil. But in the midst of that, we need to remember to cling to what is good. So as... You are continuing to wrestle with this and continuing to see it unfold on your social media pages and in the news reports. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Thanks for listening to the Her and Him podcast. If you enjoyed hanging out with us, consider subscribing to the podcast to receive it automatically each week. We'd also love it if you head over to iTunes to leave us a rating and review. And be sure to come visit us at herandhim.com, where you'll find show notes for this episode, our blog, and other resources to help you experience the abundant life that Jesus promised to us. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. I'm Don Hawkins, and I once heard Chick-fil-A founder Truett Cathy say, you can tell if a person needs encouragement, check to see if they're breathing. I'd like to invite you to my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You, featuring encouraging guests like Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley, Dan Cathy, the late Dr. Frank Menrith, Josh McDowell, and more. To subscribe to my weekly Encouragement for You podcast, go to lifeaudio.com. That's lifeaudio.com.